This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be chatting with Jenny Black. Jenny is a licensed marriage and family therapist, the author of Our Digital Soul, and the host of Lose the Phone podcast. She specializes in the impacts media has on our mental health. In today's episode, Jenny and I discuss trauma in media and how that applies to both creators of media and the consumers of media. Jenny ditched her smartphone a while back, and we talked about why and how that has profoundly impacted the raising of her children and her life. This topic is so near and dear to my heart, and I hope to continue this conversation since we didn't get to everything we wanted to in this one episode. Who knows? Maybe you'll see a movement come from this. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everybody. Today, I have Jenny Black here on the show. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks, Lindsay. So as I was mentioning before we uh, started recording, I found you via someone in my community. They were listening to a podcast that you were on and they said, oh my gosh, Lindsay, you have to listen to this. Like, I think you'll get something out of it. And I listened to it on my way to work and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe somebody's talking about the word trauma and relating it to you know, social media use or media in general. And I think the reason why I've always been so careful about it is because the word trauma is very loosely used these days. And people do get upset when you kind of just throw that term around like, oh, I have PTSD from walking down the street, you know, whatever it is. Um, so right. you want to be careful about how you phrase things. But as I mentioned to you, I still haven't worked through all of the time that I spent on social media when I had a career on there. And people will ask how I love, you know, how I like being off of social media and want me to kind of go into depth. And it's still hard for me almost two years later to really talk about all the different things that are like how my life's changed since then. It's hard for me to even put into into words. It's like I have I haven't worked through all of the underlying issues and things that happened while I was on there. It's and so when I heard you mention this, it was like I don't know, like a light bulb went off like, oh, okay, maybe I need to be treating this a little bit differently than how I was, which is 
kind of like, oh, I was offline and you know, I was online and now I'm offline. No big deal. What well, kind of is a big deal, depending on how you used it and how you were affected by certain things that happened while using it. So I'd love to talk about this not only from my perspective of using it for a career or those that actually use social media as their business, but also as being a consumer of social media so much and all of that. But I would love for you to talk and open up about just how you define trauma within the context of media and kind of how you think about it when that word is kind of like loosely thrown around and how how you would use it in relationship to media specifically. Okay. So I could tell you as a therapist that it was a very big deal for you because there's no other explanation of why you would be off. Mm -hmm. So there's something almost invisible that nobody goes to the lengths that you went to and makes the sacrifices that you've had to make to go off of social media if there wasn't something really wrong. Mm -hmm. We just don't make changes, you know, like that and sacrifices for nothing. So immediately that would tell me, yeah, there was some stuff that went on there. Now, that isn't surprising to me. If I were just a regular therapist, I would be like, okay, there were some issues Mm -hmm. here. But because I specialize in this, I know exactly why there were issues. (laughs) and I can guess what a majority of them are. And most people are suffering from them. But there was something that you were maybe more in tune with that made you make that choice. Mm But I will say I I was actually, I am and was tired of the trauma narrative because that started, that didn't happen until social media came into our daily lives. So in my office, and I don't want to like re-say a bunch of things. Have you seen my TEDx talk? I did not. Okay. So that we can put that yeah. out there. So I don't have to repeat that stuff. But basically, I was seeing clients pre and post smartphones. And pre smartphones, clients had very named specific traumas. And no one was going, was calling anything small a trauma. Mm. It was obvious. Oh, you know, they just lost their loved one in a car accident or they just got diagnosed with cancer. You know, it was just these clear, everybody in society would say, yes, that's trauma. I'm glad they're getting Mm -hmm. help. Well, then all of a sudden overnight, it was like everyone was saying they were traumatized by everything and calling things trauma that you're like, that's called hard life people, you know? So I was actually very hesitant to when I came up. So, so what I was basically seeing were these symptoms of trauma, people who thought they'd been through trauma and no named situation that matched. Mm. So that's when we came up with this narrative that I still do not believe that every everybody's, well, it was trauma for them. It might not be trauma for you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Again, there are some nuances to that, but we didn't used to talk about it like that, you yep. know, 10 yep. years ago. Does that yeah, make sense? No, it makes sense. So when I was realizing I, I am, they're right. They do have the symptoms of trauma. They actually do have PTSD. I'm watching this happen in front of my eyes. What's really going on? So that's when I sort of went into a deep dive of something's happening to us culturally for this to be across the board. I was also very connected to my phone, very involved in social media. I didn't even, it never crossed my mind that that had anything to do with it until I went on a sabbatical 
because I wasn't doing okay. I was seeing this for myself too. And I was like, what's happening to us? You know, is life just getting too busy and whatever? So it was during that sabbatical that I ended up in order to get the break and the peace I needed. That's when I took a break from social media, started putting boundaries around my phone, but I was doing all of that just like you would put boundaries around your work. You know, it wasn't like an, an isolated thought. And as I did that, I was watching what I, like I was seeing from a distance what I was dealing with and no longer dealing with, started paying attention to phone stuff. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I think this needs a different name. I think this this vague trauma everybody's talking about is actually media trauma. So you're really helping me find some more language. The exact reason I came up with the term media trauma was so that people could separate it from those other forms of trauma instead of dramatizing situations mm-hmm. to match their trauma. But I was torn about that because I was bored. Like, I was like, oh God, I'm bringing up another trauma, whatever. <laughs> Except it was just so pure and true. So there are five different types of media trauma that I'm working with right now. And these are all that I have observed. So I don't know that there's probably going to be more, or maybe some of these will meld together at some point. But for the ease of learning, it's M-E-D-I-A. So it follows those words. And the first one, <laughs> now I'm like, wait, what are the symptoms of media trauma? <laughs> or what are media trauma? So why I can't remember M right now. Oh, M is a misuse, misuse of the technology or the sites. And that is when we are using them in ways that are unnecessary, right? So I- I'm misusing it when I'm... I have my remote job, or it doesn't even matter if I'm at work and I'm working on my stuff and I'm clicking over to getting on Instagram and taking a look at something and answering a cell phone or whatever. I'm just misusing the technology. Mm-hmm. Nothing good is going to happen in my job or in my mind if that's how I'm interacting mm-hmm. with it. So there's different consequences to each one. E is the expectations of your school, your job, or your community, could even be your friend group. When you have an expectation that you should be able to be 24-7 available, that will cause trauma or that will cause the symptoms of trauma in a person. You know, when we we have like ER doctors that are available 24-7 for a very short period of time because that that's not how a human is made, right? right. So- Also, like I was supposed to respond to your text immediately, or that means we're not friends anymore. Like it starts creating this reality for a person that isn't Mm -hmm. human. So that's misuse, expectations, development, depending on the phase of development a human is in. If a one-year-old is is interacting with an iPad, according to what has been made for a one-year-old on the iPad, that's going to have very different interruptions and possible harms to their development at that time based on what a child is going through in that phase of development. So I have like a whole study that just takes you through, okay, when you're in third through fifth grade, the way that screens are interacting because of how they're being developed, that is going to cause a different kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. So for your listeners, I think one of the most fascinating ones is self-soothing. A child's ability to self-soothe is almost one of the most important things that they could do for their whole life. And that's something that's learned between zero and two years old. 
So if you have introduced an iPad, which overwhelms their sensorial system, and that is how they stop crying, one, they haven't learned to self-soothe. Two, the parent hasn't learned how to soothe their child. So you're actually missing things on two different development levels, right? And then three, the the child wasn't actually soothed. Something else didn't soothe them. It hijacked their brain. Right. So that's an example of that will cause the same as we have if we have like neglect of a child in an orphanage or whatever, and you see the implications of that the rest of their life, we will see the implications of that the rest of that child's life because they didn't get what they needed developmentally because screens interrupted that. So that's M-E-D-I is an actual incident. So an actual where someone could say, I got humiliated online. I was bullied. I saw something that has caused me to have, you know, obsessive thoughts. You know, it's an actual named, that person usually can say the thing Mm -hmm. that happened. And then M-E-D-I... A is pure addiction and it it functions just like classical addiction. You wake up thinking about it, you're interacting with it all day. It's the thing that you use to solve all of your problems and it also causes all your problems. Oh gosh, okay. I'm over here. If you could see me, uh, if we were in video chat, which we are not because we both say you're that not. we don't need to video chat, right? <laughs> you would see me like ferociously writing notes as I'm like writing down all of these types and like things I want to talk to you about. So Okay. I guess we'll start with the last one since you just mentioned it. So addiction. And like, I would like to argue that anybody who has social media on their physical phone, and I say physical phone because somebody who has social media and they just use it when they're on a, like a computer is going to have much more control than somebody that just has it on their phone that is accessible all the time because you typically have your phone with you all the time. I would like to argue that they're all probably, I mean, majority are addicted to their phones in whatever way, shape or form. It took me years and years and years to kind of get to this conclusion. And again, I pulled my community when I was still on social media and they, the majority of them were mad at me for kind of bringing this up. And that's, I feel like that's a whole other podcast episode in and of itself, just kind of like the reflection piece, because so many people, you know, were like, I'm not, you know, I'm not addicted to my phone. I don't even hardly ever check it. But yet they were able to like respond to my stories every day, you know, a stranger on the internet. And it's like, I didn't realize I was even addicted to it until I took it away. So unless you've taken it away, I think it's hard for people to see that they're addicted to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like, and, and I did it very strategically in that I just randomly, I mean, I had been on it for years and I'll rewind to like, I think it was 2015 when Instagram introduced Instagram stories. I don't know if you remember like exactly this point or yeah. not. Yeah. So I remember yeah, it vividly I as somebody who was like, quote, an influencer end quote, uh, because I was like, oh shit, now I got to like really keep up with the Jonesies and I have to like create all this content and it has to be put out 24 seven, right? Because what happens is the stories disappeared. Didn't have the ability to save any stories. So everybody that was consuming that media 
felt so badly that they were missing out on something because that content would be disappearing in 24 hours. I feel like that's when it went really wrong for me. Really, really wrong. So, and I just, I just distinctly remember that time because I felt the constant need to create content that was fresh every 24 hours and the need to like, like keep people interested every 24 hours. And as a consumer, you know, you real and I didn't, it's funny because I didn't really consume much media. I, I was the one creating it. Right. So I can't really speak from that angle because I really didn't consume it very much, but I can only imagine as a consumer how you know, addictive that is, right? I mean, you're like, oh, I can't miss out on, like, if you really, really love paying attention to some someone in particular or something in particular, you're going to go back every single 24 hours. Think about that. So that's when things were like really dicey for me. And it wasn't until COVID hit and I started taking a really hard look at everything going on. And I said, you know what? I listened to a specific podcast that I can still remember to this day. It was the Cal Newport being interviewed by, oh gosh, I can't remember, but it was his book, Digital Minimalism. And yes. I listened to the podcast and I was like, wow. Like I, and and really, truly before that time, didn't think I had a problem. <laughs> Anybody who was on the outside, not using a phone or social media would know I had a problem. But everybody that was with me was using it like I was using it. So no one saw a problem. Okay. Right. So it's like a bunch of people who are alcoholics all drinking together. Right. No one else is going to call you on your bullshit. They're doing the same thing. So, oh, anyway. So then I took, I decided to take that January off, like off just the whole month, which was like crazy for me, first of all, because A, I'm losing tons of income. B, I like, I didn't even know what to do with myself. I had so much extra time. Meanwhile, I have all these kids and I'm like, why am I wasting all my time? Anyways, you know, I don't right. want to go through the whole story again and again, but like it, it was so eye-opening for me. So when I went back on, I felt refreshed. I felt like, wow, I have this different perspective. It yes, only took yes. a few weeks for me to get reeled back in. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. I, I do think it's nearly impossible for me particularly. And I guess you have to really know yourself and your personality. It's really hard for me to make boundaries and stick to them with that, with, with social media. So for me, it was, I don't know, a year or two of doing that where I would take two weeks off. I'd take a week off. I'd take every three months, I'd take a month off. Like, I mean, I had, I was able to stick to those boundaries, but what happened was when I went back, it just went back to the same usage. So for me, it never... I was never able to use it properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, that it's actually you were using it properly. That and that is what people don't want to face. Right. Is that that is the only way to for it to be used. Right. That's the only way that it works. And the energy you have to put into managing it when you are not off of it. It's almost like get off of it or just let it take over your Mm -hmm. life. Because if you're the kind of person who's managing the boundaries and the decisions, you are going to be exhausted. That's all you'll do is manage that because it's – so the the example that I give is how many people do you think would be in AA? (laughs) How How many people do you think would have – or if AA would have even been invented? If 
every single alcoholic was required to keep a small thing of alcohol in their pocket Mm. at all times. How many people would we have in recovery? Say one in a million, but let's say that one person, let's take one person who does it. They're spending their entire day not Mm -hmm. taking that. They're not enjoying their kids. They're not outside on a hike. They're not deeply diving into a project at work. They are just trying to not take that sip from Mm -hmm. their pocket. And that is not a life. Like that's not a lot. Like the extreme mental load that goes into that is so, is so insane. I mean, and, and like I said, it was, it was really intriguing for me to find out how many people went through lengths to email me, send me a message, you know, however they could contact me telling me like they felt the need to tell me, and I didn't even know who they were, that there was no way that they were addicted and that they're not misusing social media. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Why are you going out of your way to like, let me know that you don't think that you're addicted? Yeah. Then that me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I had a few, like quite a few, and I've saved them because I love looking at them now and then, but emails from people that emailed me like, I don't know, like a year after I had left social media and they were like, you know, I've done my own journey. And I was one of the people that reached out to you and thought that you were crazy for for saying all these things and that you were a hypocrite for being somebody who was an influencer to being somebody who wanted to leave social media. But now I get all of it, wow. which to me, that was really a big bulk of my purpose when I left was to hopefully help people have a healthier relationship with media you know, and I know that I'm only one person, but I mean, anything, small changes make big changes. And so I, I really, that was a lot of my intention. And so when I get an email like that, I'm like, this is so cool to see it kind of come full circle like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, you're going through all of these different types of like how somebody can have trauma in media. And it's, and it's so obvious that it's, it's very much, it's equal on on both parts of if you're somebody who creates the content for the platform versus somebody who's just simply a consumer of the platform because you'll also talk to people and I'm sure you have this all the time where they're like, "Oh, I just oh, I just consume. I just go on there for like 5 or 10 minutes and then I and then I get off." Well, in those 5 or 10 minutes, like, did you see something that was really triggering for you because for me, it was every single time I signed onto social media. I mean, there is right. inevitably <laughs> always something triggering. It could even just be someone's clean house. That's triggering for you because you're sitting and you're trying to relax and you're trying to soothe yourself on social media and your house is a freaking mess and you're looking at someone's clean house. And now you're stressed out and anxious about who's going to clean the house. What am I going to do? I've got all this stuff to do. And then your mind just kind of like goes down this, you know, dark road of whatever. Or it could be, you know, like just like in my instance, a lot of, oh, uh, a lot of, I think, I guess I could say my trauma was from the medical aspect because I was really trying to, I felt a a push in myself to help educate during the times of COVID being somebody who wow. works in the emergency department. So I went from sharing, you know, fun outfits for mom and motherhood stuff to get your vaccine. Of course, you can understand how the floodgates opened on that. And it was, for me, every time going on was 
incredibly traumatizing. And I really do think I can use that word. I mean, I had death threats every day. So it's so wild to me that some people don't understand, like when they open that app, like the responsibility is that, I mean, you really need to know who you're following, right? And really be careful of that. But it's so easy to venture off from that because Instagram likes to share like like-minded accounts and and like-minded pictures and they they yeah, have all these ways. What, what I say is it it all of this is designed for profit is not designed for mm-hmm. humans. And Absolutely. most people are serving that machine. They're not making money off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it and that's a that's a really interesting I would like a lot of people will say, oh, that's how my business runs or whatever. The di- the deeper I dig, there's very few people who actually that is a good form of marketing for them in terms of actual money making. So, and part of that is because we now have this place that everything is thrown out. If, if, if this one place, so if I'm driving down the street and you're like, oh, a billboard is a really great way to, you know, advertise. Mm-hmm. Now, Get drive down the street and put up a thousand billboards. Is that still a great way to advertise? Mm-hmm. Like people, you can only take in so much information, right? And you can't see a thousand billboards at one time. And you really need to, <laughs> yeah. And you need to go viral in order for things to, you know. Right. So if you're like a, a right. painter or an artist, your work has to go viral in order for it to be visualized. Exactly. And the pressure, anxiety to go viral. I mean, I know that so on such a deep level. I mean, it's all consuming and such a treacherous like territory. Yes, because the the lie that we've been told is this is the only way. This is the only way that you can make it. And the reason I know that that's a lie is because it's never been true that there's only one way. That's never been true. There's never only one way to make a living. Right. <laughs> right. That's there's there's um, the the way that I describe it is the if you if you read through and I actually put this at the beginning of my book if you read through how to know if you're in a cult that's I like use that uh, one of them is like one of the first things is they say the only way that you're going to survive in this world is if you believe what we believe Mm -hmm. and you stay a part of this. Like it's very, it's a very controlling reality that is, it didn't even exist 10 years ago. So how can it be the only way now? Right. Yeah. And when that's being told to people, they put up with a tremendous amount of consequences, negative consequences, because they believe that this false promise that it will deliver you this thing later on if you just do all these things. And again, that's that's all the nature of it's actually I also write about this in the book. Are you familiar with trauma bonds? No. So this was when I got really like clear on I can call this media trauma because a trauma bond is what keeps you locked into the relationship. And if you and they're in the book, I won't go through them now, but if you look through like what makes a trauma bond? It is the business plan of social media. And one of those is you can't leave it, right? You can't leave the dynamic or there's going to be a con- a consequence. You're going to lose out on something. And the other one is a it, it manipulates your emotions to keep you there. It also keeps you 
well, you already said one, you can't see the, you cannot see what it's done Mm -hmm. to you until you get away from it. And then the other one that you just talked about is it's promising you that your deepest needs will be fulfilled sometime out here, but that always stays sometime out there. Yeah. I mean, if you were to, you know, you say like the consequences are that you're going to miss out on something and you know, when you say it, oh, you're going to miss out on something. It sounds so generic and and so basic and like, oh, okay, well, I'll just miss out on something. Well, when it comes to social media, there are just, I mean, I could write, you know, so many things that somebody would be missing out on. Like you, I think a huge, huge part of this, especially with motherhood. And I, my brain kind of goes on full gear when I talk about this because I think they're heavily tied in together. But the way we care for mothers in this country as a whole is so disappointing and atrocious. And a lot of moms have found comfort and community within social media and the social media realm in general, whether it be connecting with other moms because they don't have anybody close to them that they know that's a mom or their kid might have something like a specific condition and they want to connect with moms that also have somebody with the same condition or or just not feeling alone. I'm nursing in the middle of the night. Please, someone keep me entertained. It's so specifically geared, I feel like, to help mothers kind of escape that reality because we have nothing else to rely on. We literally don't. We can't afford childcare. We can't work because we can't afford childcare. We are stuck in our house and it's like, oh, social media will come consume you. And as far as like we live in this highly capitalistic, you know, society and social media is at the very top of that where it's able to push ads constantly to these moms who think that wearing a different coat will make her feel better or getting this specific toy will make her kid smarter or whatever and i just feel like it's more targeted towards mothers in general because there's a there's a vulnerability right this is what i was talking about about different phases of development there's a specific vulnerability that moms have and yes and that matches so the specific way that social media feeds into that vulnerability has its own implications. It interrupts a certain phase of development that at a vulnerable time. Yes, extremely vulnerable. And I feel like there's such an empty space uh, where there should be more help for moms, but we are fulfilling that void by utilizing the only tool that we know of, which is social media. And, you know, and, and I don't want to you know, only talk about like the negative implications. I, I, I definitely do think there are some amazing things like, for example, being able to team together with like-minded individuals that want to create social change and things like that. I think that part of it is really cool. Whereas before when we wanted to create change, we would have to meet within our small community and then try to make it even bigger from there. And now we're able to affect it on a bigger global level than ever before with the ease of social media. Yeah. And I would say one of the things I, I always bring up in these conversations is that, that if there were no positives, we wouldn't be having this conversation. The actual problem is that there are good things that come from it mm-hmm. <laughs> and they actually mask 
the problems, right? Because right. we're we're like, oh, but these good things come from it, right? And we don't we don't have enough time or space or energy to do the work to see if they're actually worth it. Mm-hmm. Are those positives outweighing the negatives? And for example, and we don't really assess the positives. So as you were saying about a global, you know, having global social change. Well, what we've seen is that that doesn't actually work Mm -hmm. because people buying in at a very high level often doesn't require any sacrifice or any understanding of what's actually how this affects a person on a daily basis, where when you're starting those movements from your community, you're dealing with the realities that you're in Mm -hmm. instead of the ideals. And these realities cost me Ideals don't cost people. So we get this feeling that we've participated in social change because we've posted something. And that is not actual change, right? Right. And it also may be what so much conflict has come from is that we also may be not considering our neighbor and how it would affect them because we're in this higher place of, well, this just change this, just fix this thing. Right. And not realizing how, you know, deep and complex our problems really are. Right. And I think that's such a good point, you know, to to mention that we think that we're being part of this social change by simply reposting someone else's post or posting or a having an square or ha- yeah. having an yeah. opinion. It's like, what is the work that's being done when no one's looking at you? Is there work being done when no one's looking yeah. at you? And what price are you willing to pay? Right. In, in your reality. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Copilot. Copilot is a service that provides you with an affordable personal trainer in your own home via an app that personalizes your workouts according to your individual needs and goals. I recently met with my trainer, Chris, via video chat, and we talked about what I want to work on in the foreseeable future. Chris then put together my workout within the app and touches base with me on a daily basis to see if I have any questions or changes I want to make. The best part about this app is the real person accountability and ability to talk one-on-one on a daily basis with your trainer. You will go over what you have available at home to work out or if you have a gym. Don't worry if you don't have much at home or you don't have a gym. Your trainer will work with you no matter what you have. You can also discuss what you want your exercise schedule to look like and how it will fit into your current lifestyle. It helps a lot to discuss with your trainer what your goals are and then what type of training is required to hit those goals. I have tried quite a few fitness programs over the years, and I can say that I'm really enjoying the way this one is set up. Right now, I am doing four days of weightlifting on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I am doing my own HIT and endurance training on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Chris also added in core movements into every workout, since that is something I am really needing to work on after birthing four kids. You can create whatever schedule you want with your trainer, and they will work with you. I've been using Copilot for over three weeks now and can say that I have felt sore after every single workout and cannot wait to keep you updated as I progress. Changes take a bit of time, so I will discuss that around the eight-week mark. I'd love for you to follow my lead to get fit and feel great. Give Copilot a try and find out why it was listed by Forbes as the top-rated personal trainer app of 2023. Head to go.mycopilot.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get a 14-day free trial with your own personal trainer. That's go.mycopilot.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get a free 14-day trial with your own personal trainer. Take a backseat and let Copilot help you reach your fitness goals. This link will also be in the show notes. But I... 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do really want to get back to that vulnerability of motherhood, especially early motherhood. Mm-hmm. I completely relate when social media got you know entered into my world when my kids were maybe early middle elementary school, and it was like this huge. Like I was like exactly what you're saying. I remember those nursing nights. Mm-hmm. I remember those empty, empty days where I didn't see anybody and the thrill of getting to feel it like gave me meaning mm-hmm. to, I mean, I would say I was probably really close to one of the very first moms. Like I had a blog before people knew what the word blog was. Yeah. Yeah, me too. yeah. So I was one of those first moms to realize, oh my gosh, I could write these cute stories about my kids. I could post this amazing picture because I was just getting into photography. So it was this way of making my world so much bigger and sharing these really sweet or hard things about my life in a way that made me not feel so alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was catnip. It was like it was it like felt like it saved me. Oh, yeah. you know, from yeah. this this lonely place. And so I get it. I completely get it. What unfortunately, because it is, it's it's a monster. Mm-hmm. It's not a friend. And it doesn't it 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 doesn't stop there like it it can't just stop there like oh this is my way i feel connected to other people right that's what we all thought it would do mm-hmm. if it did that we would know by now right for some reason we're more lonely and more traumatized and have less resources and whatever <laughs> the thing that really grieves me lindsay and that i like i want every single one of your moms to hear is that what you cannot imagine is what gets built inside of you and between you and your children in those years and in that time mm-hmm. and space that moms aren't getting anymore and kids aren't getting anymore. And that that is going to have significant ramifications just in mental health alone for several I mean, decades. Because this, what's happened is that attachment bond between a mom and child, which we know is the most important bond on the planet, right, has been broken because now moms are getting their needs met by their phones and the things that are happening through those phones. And they're handing the screens to their kids to get their needs met there. So what that's created is that my primary attachment is to my phone, not to my child and not to my parent. And that has broken something so primal in us. That's not our natural inclination. That's how powerful this thing is. I mean, I don't have to tell you, but I'll say it. I became more gratified and satisfied by what I was giving and receiving through my phone about my children than I was getting from the deep, intricate 
giving and receiving that happens between a mom and her baby. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? That's boring. Right. It does not give you feedback for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't boost your reputation. Certainly doesn't make you more money. All it does is create a stronger bond between you and your child, right. which is everything. Right. And that has been taken, that's been stolen from us. Mm-hmm. And I deeply, deeply grieve for the moms and the kids. I, I woke up to this when my kids were, my son was a junior in high school and my daughter was a freshman. So I, I mean, I, I cannot even tell you what it may, if I had not woken up ever, or if I hadn't woken up until they left home, what I would have missed. Mm-hmm. Because when I made that decision to get rid of social media, get rid of my phone, at that point, I had two years left at home with my son and four years left at home with my daughter. And I had this awakening that I have missed it. I've missed so much. Now, if you got on my Instagram, you wouldn't think I'd missed a bit of it. Oh, of course not. Yeah. I missed it. I was not there. And I made a decision. I wasn't, I I already had so many regrets over what I'd missed and some things I really needed to repair with my kids to build this like trust and attachment that thank God we did have when they were young Mm -hmm. because it didn't come into my life until they were older children, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we, we see the missing years. It's just an obvious thing. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to miss anything else. I'm not going to. And I did not. And when they left home, the tears I cried over how thankful I was that I didn't miss any of it. Like I got to leave them saying, I gave you the very best I had to give you the last years that you were at home. Yeah. And I love that you're, you're looking at it from the future perspective as opposed to saying, well, I wish that I got rid of it earlier. Because I feel like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, well, all hope is gone. Well, it's not. Right. And I love that you phrased that in such that you were happy that you were able to give your kids those those last couple of years as opposed to being sad that you weren't present. Well, not that you weren't present, but do you know what I mean? That you didn't, you waited so long to get rid of it. Yeah. And it, and the reality is there's repair work to be done, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if you get back in your real life, if you can land back in your reality and realize uh, pretty much everything that happens through your phone isn't even real at all, at all. Like, I mean, once it's out of there, it is like, what was I doing? Yeah. Where, like, you yeah. know, what's real is that my kid, my dishes need putting away. <laughs> you know, yeah. what's real is it's a beautiful day and I'd like to go on a walk right now. Mm-hmm. There are actually real trees outside, you know? Yep. When you land back in that world, the real world gives back to you. And we've gotten used to living in a space that we give to and it doesn't give anything back. Mm-hmm. That's not how reality is. Even the hard parts of reality give something back to you. Right. And, you know, I wanted to mention too, when you were talking about the work as a mother and so much of what we do is completely unseen, Right. Right. We are with these tiny little humans, most of which for the first couple of years give us absolutely n- – they might smile. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But we are working our asses off. Yep. 
to raise these babies. And yes, we have partners that are, and hopefully most cases helpful, and in some cases not, right? Right. Um, Depending on how our partner views equitability within the household. So much of it is unseen. And your partner at work isn't seeing what you're doing at home. Right. 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 (laughs) You can tell them all you want. Right. But no one sees you. They see you when you're online, though. They're recognizing when you post that fun little lunch that you gave to your kid. Right. They're acknowledging you and they're saying, good job, mom. We so desperately need to have that, that we're willing to give up all of those things for it. And I completely understand why, because I did it. Yeah, like, exactly. So I did get I. it. So did I. <laughs> yeah. So did and it's, I. yeah, it's, it's infuriating because I feel like it's just yet another aspect of our culture and our society in which women well, specifically mothers are being harmed, you know, yeah. and well, it pisses and, me off. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I want moms to understand is that it actually is a deeply fulfilling reality. Mm-hmm. But the more that you look to something else, mm-hmm. it won't be. Yep. So I, the thing, my heart goes out to moms who do feel so unfulfilled now because they are not getting the benefit of giving them their full attention and selves mm-hmm. to being a mom, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not even talking about we're not even getting into the complications of juggling a job or anything like that. I'm talking about just the pure distraction and escape Mm -hmm. aspect of it. Yeah. And so, but also that's, that's how you learn to become a mom. So just like you learn to you as the, if we have this idealized perfect mom or whatever that can help her child soothe her child, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to soothe my child. They're, they're rocking them, whatever. That's translated to the child and how the child learns how to soothe itself. Well, if a mom, becoming a mom is an insane phase of development. You are learning and deepening your capacity and ability to tolerate ridiculous situations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To to soothe uh, your, somebody has like a parenting book that's like a hostage nego- negotiator <laughs> teaches mm-hmm. parenting. Like this is Moms, it, it's a learn. It's a place of learning. Mm-hmm. So when you are escaping it, you are not learning how to be the mom that your kid needs. Right. When you are learning to be the mom that your kid needs, it will satisfy you. Not in like a quick, you know, dopamine hit kind of way. Right. And yet, yeah, in a lot of dopamine kind of ways. So that is available. That kind of fulfillment is available in a relationship. In fact, a relationship with a mom and a child as it is in a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. So my daughter teaches preschoolers. She lives in California. She's 22 years old. So she is working with child development day and night. I mean, figuring out how to manage two and three-year-olds. And she's got a lot of them. And at the same time, she is with her you know, she's meeting brand new friends who have completely different past realities than her. Mm-hmm. And she said most of her friends have suffered a tremendous amount of trauma, neglect, and abuse throughout their lives. And she's very aware she didn't, you know, like, mm-hmm. wow, mm-hmm. my life was different. Mm-hmm. But 
she called me, I mean, like (laughs) she called me to say, Hey mom, I just realized like the issues she's seeing with her two and three-year-olds are similar issues that she's seeing with her friends again, who had real trauma adults, Mm. but with her kids who are just raised by iPads. Oh my gosh. And she said, it has occurred to me. I've thought, and we we never had a lot of money when they were growing up, Mm -hmm. but she said, I have just finally realized what true privilege is. She's like, my whole life, I thought privilege was a certain amount of money. And she said, I realize it's one parent who was always there. She said that privilege supersedes any amount of money, overcomes a lot of elements of even poverty. If you knew that you had one person that was on deck for you at all times. Mm -hmm. She's like, that's why I'm healthy. She was like, I just want to thank you. I've never realized what that actually did to me and how that's changed like my whole trajectory. So when, when you said earlier, it's unseen, everything Mm -hmm. we do is unseen. I wish every single mom could sit down my two kids. It was always seen. Mm -hmm. Every single bit of it was seen. I mean, did that make you just, I'm, I'm over here almost crying and I'm not even like, I'm not, I'm not invested in your kid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And I totally understand where you're coming from, what you're saying now, because I have a 10 year old. So I have four kids and my oldest is 10 and I am just now starting to see and understand that what I did when she was younger has just made her into this beautiful human that she is now. And the person that is reflecting back and talking to me like, like a grown adult. And that is when you start to see so much of all the work that you've put in come back to you. Yes. And it and now I understand and I and I I'm so grateful to that because I also have all her younger siblings that right. I'm like, "Oh, right. I get to do this better." Like, yeah. You know, yeah. because you don't realize it in the moment. And you don't realize it for good reason. Like, right. it's not right. like you're listening and you should know these things. Like you shouldn't. Uh-uh. Like you no. are not given and depending on your race and all of those different things like you're given even less opportunity, right? So like, I mean, you just are not set up for success and it's not your fault. And right, it's hard to see it when you're in it because you have no idea. You're like, where, you know, does this even matter? It does matter. It, it really matters. matters. It really does. Yeah. But here's, I, this is, I've, I just remembered this as you were talking. The reason that Avery's my daughter's name. The reason she was telling me this, she said a lot of her friends have really terrible boundaries with social media or texting Mm -hmm. or things like this. And she's like, she'll be like, say someone sends them abusive texts. Like say they went on an online date with someone and that person keeps texting them something after the fact. And they're like, I'm not interested in Mm -hmm. you, whatever, something like this. Avery will go, why don't you block their number? Right? Like you don't ever have to talk to them again. Yeah. Like whatever. And they'll say things like, well, I'm, I'm worried that like they would like come after me if I don't like, they're using that to negotiate some sort of safety. And that, that was the thing that made Avery say, oh my gosh, the reason they are 
allowing the things they're allowing to happen online is because they didn't have a safe adult around helping them learn healthy boundaries when they were very, very young. Nobody was around. And not just nobody, but then if you're given the internet to take the place Mm -hmm. of a safe, protective parent, you're never going to learn how, like, it's always just been their job to protect themselves against the internet, right? Right. So I'm, yeah, I'm so, I feel like we could talk for so, so long about all of this, but I want to specifically hone in very briefly on your personal experience, because it sounds like you don't have a smartphone at all. Is that right? Correct. Holy shit. Okay. I want to know about this. <laughs> I almost did this dive and I got nervous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's what I'm here for, Lindsay. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. Jenny, I need your support. Okay. Talk to us about that. I really want to know about that. And then I want to briefly know, and I know and we're going to wrap it up, but I want to know about how you managed your children and their devices or, you know, or yeah. their uh, no devices, <laughs> should I say, and how that all worked out for you. Like, what can you tell the rest of us that are about to navigate this? Oh my gosh. I know. Oh I know, but it's so okay. important. Okay. So the first part is I don't have a smart, what, after I continued doing the work, I realized that social media was only a portion of the issue and that really the phones were designed in such a way that I could not live. I could not be mentally healthy mm-hmm. and have a smartphone mm-hmm. just by nature of there being a thousand things that you could do at any given moment. Right. And I, I have learned that being in my reality is the place where I am the healthiest mm-hmm. and I can learn the most and I can offer the world the most. And that, that was a pretty significant mental shift was this belief I could offer the world more through that. Mm. And I can't. I, I may be a, I, I, one, I, I can't, but I become less mm-hmm. in that process. Yeah. And I also, my reality loses me. So I don't have a smartphone. I have a dumb phone. It's a very high functioning. It's a gap phone. So it calls text. Oh, it's a gap? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. So you so, have, I've heard of like the light phone, yeah. but I've never yes. heard of an adult having the gap phone. Exactly. And I have worked very hard to get them to, do some marketing around that. Interesting. And they have been very resistant. And really? Yeah. I I think they are really s- still being supported well. Like they're not ruffling any feathers. Right. By offering this as a safe kid's phone. And it's just like, hey, we're work- this is working. You know, right. why start this whole other thing that's somewhat controversial. <laughs> yeah. The light phone, which I love light phones too. It's, they're a bit more expensive. Right. And that's why I ended up doing the gab phone. But also I like having a kid's phone, so to speak, because it gives me a lot more information for parents mm-hmm. and what this really plays out in. So I was, um, well, wait, I've got to finish that first conversation. So <laughs> I got so excited. My headphones popped off my head. <laughs> So I understand the feeling. Yeah. Got rid of my smartphone, have a dumb phone. There are very, very few things that happen that I wish I had a smartphone for. Most, all of the good things that a smartphone gives you, most of them come through calls and texts. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do now is I help people do that lifestyle shift. Mm -hmm. So I have groups that do that. I take individuals through that process and then I do big intensives for people who actually want me like in their home all day to figure out how we're going to make this work. But the thing that is really exciting about this 
is it's not just about we're going to get rid of this bad thing in your life. The It's called Lose the Phone. I have a podcast that follows it too. Mm-hmm. And the it's not what everybody has to do is they have to say what it is that they want. This isn't about losing your phone. What do you want from your life? And so I have people choose an area of their life that they would like to drastically improve over the course of 60 days. And I help them set up their life so that their technology gets put back in its proper place of supporting their life. And they have all the energy and resources that they need to pursue this goal. So I've had goals be anything from a musician who wanted to be more creative to a couples who want to improve their relationship or parents who want a healthier relationship with their kids who want to enjoy parenting mm-hmm. again. So anybody gets to pick their thing. It could be health. It could be home improvement, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just, we're going to make your life better and we're going to move this, get this out of the way mm-hmm. so that you can do that. The second part of what you're asking about was kids. So one of my favorite, favorite groups of people I've ever gotten to talk to, I had 90 minutes with 74th, 5th, and 6th graders. It was just me talking to this group of 70 kids. We did not have a slide. We didn't. They didn't get up. They just talked to me for 90 minutes about this. They're very concerned and confused, and they have lots of, <laughs> lots of interesting insight mm-hmm. and whatever. So one of the kids asked, you know, how old do you think that you should be before you get Um, on social media, like what's an appropriate age? And I said, never. And then they said, how old before we should get a smartphone? And I said, well, I'm 47 and I'm not old enough for one yet. I can't handle it. The responsibilities, the pitfalls, it's it's too much for me. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you know, it could be 48. (laughs) (laughs) And so I told them, I said, but here's the deal. I think as a, as a way, you know, this is this, again, there's this lie being told to us that it's all of this or nothing. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, oh, so do you live on a farm and you have chickens and you whatever? <laughs> and it's like, guys, this is part of the lie. And I actually think kids at a very, very young age should have a dumb phone. I think that's a way of saying, hey, great, mom can call you anytime. Mm -hmm. You can start learning how to utilize this. I mean, I'm saying give it to them. I think 10 years old is a great age. Whenever, I I think you should give it to them before they ask for it. That's Mm -hmm. what I think. And because it's only calling and texting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking to this group of kids saying, I mean, how much trouble? So I say to them, how much trouble do you think you could get in? just talking and texting. And they all sat there. It was just like this big pregnant pause. And they were like, a lot. And I was like, exactly. And don't you think that's enough for you? Mm -hmm. Don't you think, because that would, the reason it's such a a powerful solution is because a 10-year-old can only get into 10-year-old trouble with a talking and texting phone. Mm -hmm. And so you as a parent are like, oh, I can manage that. What? You said this to your friend? What? You got left out of this? What? You snuck your phone in the middle of the night? Like these are things we can parent. Mm -hmm. Those are not traumas. Those are lessons, right? Right. When you put a smartphone into 
any, I would never have anyone under 18 living in my house with a smartphone, like that I was legally responsible for. Mm -hmm. When you put the internet in a child's hands, you have said you are in charge of your life now. You are in Mm -hmm. charge. And you have also 100% invited a predator into your home. There is probably close to 0% chance that anyone will not be sexually abused through their phones Mm -hmm. at this point in time. Yep. And no mother I've ever met in the history of the world has actively said, I'm okay with my child being involved Mm -hmm. with a sexual predator because that's just how it is now. Yep. We don't do that as moms. Like we go to war over those kinds of things. And we're not, Lindsay. We're not because we are drowned in it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll go to war. Do you want to go to war with me? <laughs> Let's go to war. <laughs> I mean, I am. I am like so serious. Like I am. I am ninety eight percent like getting rid of my smartphone and getting a gap phone at this point. Like I need to look more into it. And well, and yeah, I'd I mean, love to help you through that process. But I do want to say, and this is like, I know. I mean, this is my voice, and this is my role in society. I have watched moms fight the gun control. Mm. you know, bite. And I don't know where you're from, but I live in Nashville and I'm very closely connected to Covenant School. Mm -hmm. So we just had, I mean, like we just lived through this, Mm -hmm. right? And what I want to say to moms is gun control, the issue of gun control compared to the abuse that's happening to your child through your smartphone and theirs is incomparable. Mm. Incomparable. Like, this is the thing moms should be saying. You do not have a right to my child, and you do not have a right to take my child's mom away from them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like incredibly profound and so spot on. I, you know, I have been trying to think of ways from even just like a local community perspective of, how can I start to educate my local community about this? Like simple things like kids shouldn't be allowed to take their smartphone to school. That needs to be like period, the end. It shouldn't happen. It's not a rule at our schools. Kids can bring their smartphones to school and do whatever the hell they want with them. I just, you know, so it's like the little things where it's like, why are we doing nothing about this? Right. Well, I talked to one school about it. And they were saying they were trying to get a phone-free school and how they could get their parents and their teachers to buy into it. And this was actually before before the shooting happened at Covenant. I mean, we're talking maybe a month before. And I was saying, this wasn't at Covenant. It was at a different but comparable school. And I said to them, how much buy-in do you need to tell your parents and your teachers, we offer a safe environment here? And we're talking, you know, the security guards that walk, the bulletproof windows that happen, the blah, 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 right? Yeah. Go on and on and on. And yet we are not dealing with the number one safety and security issue that we are letting that come in the door. And and the stories I have about this are so awful, so awful. It's not if it's going to happen. It is going to happen. Mm -hmm. It is happening. Right. So it's, it is a lot of education and I, I would love to participate in any way if, that you could use my support, but that is what I'm doing. I'm going to schools. I'm going to offices. I'm talking to groups of parents. I'm, when people get educated on this, the only question they have after it is 
how on earth are we going to do it? Right. But it's not a question of whether we have to do it. Or yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can definitely talk offline more. I, I really, I mean, I have a lot of connections too with a few other organizations that have developed something along the same lines. And anyway, like maybe we can brainstorm because I, I would love to do that. Okay. I feel like we could go on forever. Obviously. I know we, could. we, we, we really could. could. I feel like, yeah, we'll talk more for sure. So let's end with our my two questions. My first question for you, completely unrelated to what we talked about, is if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would that piece of advice be? So there's this research that shows that if someone is having a like a painful procedure done and a stranger holds their hand, mm-hmm. it shows their pain decrease. And then it shows if you have someone in a loving relationship who holds your hand, the pain almost goes down to a minimum. And if you have someone who you're in a conflicted relationship with and you hold their hand, the pain will double. And when I heard that research, it empowered me that when my kids were in pain and when they were going through things, if I could just hold their hand and say, I can't fix this, I don't know what to do, but I'm right here mm-hmm. and I love you, that that could get them out of pain. And that has been my number one, like, I mean, I use it even with my two-year-old niece. Yeah. Like, I'm right here. Yeah. I'm just right here. And the one, you are the most important person in your child's world. And your that, having that with them when they need you, is actually all they need. Mm-hmm. And if you give it to them when they really need it, they won't need you so much. (laughs) And I'm hearing a lot about people having conflicted relationships with their kids. And I just want to say that that's, that's new. That's not actually how moms and kids work. We don't have conflict in our relationship. We just have a relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. You're enough. You're enough. Your presence with your child, your eye contact and your touch is enough. I love that. Really powerful too. I mean, you don't have to be this like over the top. I mean, we didn't get into this, but I'm going to mention it briefly here because it it makes a lot of sense in this context. You know, you'll go online to find all these tips, all these tricks, all these ways of parenting, all of these ways of, you don't need any of them. You will be a great parent without them. The excessive amount of information that's available to you doesn't need to be available to you. And all your child needs, like you said, is your presence and not your mind being overly consumed with a thousand tips and tricks to make your sandwich in the morning for school. Right. right. Well, I'm dead serious. Is, like I say it, but yeah, it's like, no, I, I get it. It's like, real. Yeah, it's real. But also your child is actually the only person who can tell you what you need to do Mm -hmm. and what they need. Like it's being tuned into your child that helps you know. You know because you're tuned into your child. Your child is the one telling you. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be the thing for every kid. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. If you could make one meal that everyone in your family would eat that's relatively quick and easy what would it be? So we did this little, like everybody's sort of favorite. We're like, 
was these really delicious chicken tenders that are like, I don't know, you can get them at like Whole Foods mm-hmm. or Sprouts or whatever. Um, so they're like real chicken. <laughs> and we do we would do chicken tenders and I would make rice and then I'd have kale. Mm-hmm. Like I'd have kale cooked up some way. And everybody, it was like, <gasps> chicken tenders, rice, and kale. And of course, like my son can't eat kale. So he would just have the chicken tenders, right? It mm-hmm. worked. Like those three things, everybody had two to three out those things. <laughs> and it was always so delicious. Like I put lemon juice, yeah. lemon juice and salt and pepper on it. It was like, why is this always so delicious? That's so funny. I mean, I feel like chicken tenders are a hit no matter what, right? And right, Russell right. was rice, I feel like, yeah. right? Yeah. What type of rice though? I feel like there's so many different options. We're like a um, jazz. My kids like love jasmine rice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. That's good. That's a good option. All right. Oh my goodness. All right. Thank you so much, Jenny, for having this conversation. I feel like obviously we could go on forever um, and maybe we will, but <laughs> it's a, it's a complicated, massive it conversation. Is. And I feel like with each mini top, first of all, I wrote all these questions down for you. Didn't even look at it. I know. I know. I didn't <laughs> even look at it. I didn't look at it. I had turned it over and was writing a thousand notes and we, yeah, didn't even ask you one question on there. Okay. I feel like every mini topic we had just could have branched off completely. Yeah. So, well, I will say this is not to plug my TEDx talk. It is the easiest way to take this idea and communicate it to somebody because mm-hmm. it's, you know, like 12 minutes. Yeah. So if this feels too big, that really helps kind of say, oh, I get it. Yeah. Like I get it. Yeah. So I will definitely link that up into the show notes as well as the website, losethephone.com and all the other things, your podcast and and everything else. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us today, Jenny. I really appreciate you. It was truly my pleasure. I'm so, so, so thankful for your voice and the goodness that you are choosing to put back into the world and to your kids. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.